Joining us today, it's Jack Eason. Yep. And, of course, Adam Myros. Hello, Steve. What a fucking week. And, uh, guys, we got, uh, we got Fred Wiseman on this week, and we're going we're gonna to be doing an interview with him. It's really exciting stuff. That really fits with the theme of the month. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Uh, we, we don't have Fred Wiseman. Uh, why, why would we? This, this episode would probably kill him, and we want he's a national treasure, <laughs> and we need him alive. Uh, this was 100% Adam Myros's fault, and we were talking off air, and we were trying to think of, uh, I don't know, a, a, a more difficult week of, of film viewing, both in terms of our, our schedules, uh, the subject matter, and, and all of that, and, um, you know, some, some films are hard to have on when you're on the clock, Myros. You ever, you ever think about that? Uh, no, I don't have a job, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, in case you didn't catch the title, we are we're talking about the acclaimed hardcore pornographic series <laughs> Taboo, because I, I, I think we've been once we decided that this was going to be Yes, Nut November, it seems like we've been slowly ratcheting up the the horniness and we have reached the peak of Horny Mountain. And now the horny cart is about to fly down. And uh, wow. What 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 of you from the top, Myros? Thank you for this. Well, I I don't know. I'll take some of the blame. I I think it's a, a good idea for a Thanksgiving episode. But uh, I also because you want to see someone get stuffed. Is that <laughs> uh, you know it's a time for family, Steve. Um, but, <laughs> but you know I I still pitched it as like I'd say sixty percent joke, and uh, neither of you <laughs> pushed back against it. We we initially were going to do one of those. Uh, uh, smut without smut releases or something, but then I'm like, well, what if we did taboo? Expecting to well, get to, fucking to be fair, tomatoes I, lobbed at me, and, and it, it didn't happen. To be fair, I I thought we were gonna do like three taboo films. You know, well, I, it was something of a surprise, like right up running up as we were gonna do it to find out. No, it's you were sticking to the full. Uh, the, the original producer, director, and writer teaming, and their first five entries. A lot of entries in these movies, but well, uh, it yeah. was a theory. I, I figured, you know, you got to like cut the length in half just based on how much you're going to not be watching <laughs> all of the hardcore sets. Are we, you're right. What's the purpose of us doing podcasts and movies? We fast forward. through. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you I think you should watch every like just Harry swing and nutsack and and come shot. That was I watched. I watched the whole first movie, but after that, I have to say it is something like an out of body experience to find myself uh, IMing people at work while watching like an orgy on my laptop next to the screen. It's just yeah, it's, it's weird. weird and also probably an instantly fireable offense if they ever found out. Uh -huh. So uh, yeah, cool. Well, this here's is it here's how new I doors. see it. Here's how I see it. You know, you ever just like have you have like a bag of shredded cheese in your refrigerator? You ever just grab that bag of shredded cheese and you just you just fucking eat a handful of it? Because I've no, done yeah, it. Sure, That's sure. a perfectly fine thing to do. Now imagine, Myros, if every meal, every day for five straight days, you were just housing shredded cheese out of the bag. It it would it would kind of lose a little bit of its luster, wouldn't it? And you'd feel a little weird about yourself, maybe, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah, I, I can see that. <laughs> 
yeah so it's just like man i i feel like i just i just felt like the way i was i was watching these movies i i wasn't using the bag of shredded cheese right let's just say that um but there there is some value to what we're watching here we're not trying to denigrate the uh the great auteur kirby stevens not kirby <laughs> stevens see this is not a a little pink video game uh, player that or character that sucks shit up and takes on its attributes. No, no, Curdy, which sounds like how I would describe like rotten milk that's been sitting at room temperature. Uh, I thought this was a common name. name in, I figured this was a common name in Wisconsin. No, Curdy. <laughs> it could be. It should be. It should be. Uh, listen, this guy was a trailblazer. First of all, uh, a, a real, a real feminist, a real man of the people, because. Uh, Curtis Stevens, he worked side by side with his wife, who actually wrote all of the uh, the taboo films we're going to be talking about today. Uh, quite a talent. And, uh, you know, I, I actually read the full script to Taboo 3 uh, because I found it online when I was doing research. And I thought, well, that's a weird thing uh, that you can get on the Internet. Why not look at it? Hell of a screenplay. So uh, he works hand in hand with his wife on these. Also, What's the length on that, Steve? Uh, the length of this, it's shorter than you probably would think. No, Although, it's not. It's about right. It, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's not that long. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, the, uh, the, the script for Taboo 4, The Younger Generation, is also out there if you want to read that one. That one's a little bit longer because there's the, the whole diatribe with the doctor in the beginning. But um, anyways, these films are, they're actually important. We didn't just watch uh, hardcore incest porn for our, you know, just for jollies here. Uh, these are important in the sense that I want to take you back to a time when pornography was something that would regularly show in certain theaters in certain parts of the country. It was something that you could seek out and find. And specifically, we were talking about Tinto Brass, <clears throat> and we mentioned that the, the kind of movies that were getting made in the 70s, it wasn't just like skeezy, sticky floor theaters. You could go and see Deep Throat. On any college campus, this would play in the theater. And there was a brief period where America actually embraced hardcore pornography as something that could be shown alongside your typical uh, softcore exploitation horror fair. Now, this was starting to trail off a little bit by the time we get into the 1980s. And by a little bit, I mean quite a bit. Uh, obviously, we have the home video market and what pornography would do essentially would be to dictate the formats that the broader industry beyond pornography would adopt. So uh, VHS versus beta. Uh, a lot of people said, oh, well, beta is a superior format. Why did VHS win out? The answer is porn. Uh, later, you have DVD is adopted by the porn industry. There, there wasn't a big market for porn laser discs because it wasn't cheap. So then DVD becomes a standard format. Later, you have Blu-ray versus HD DVD. Which one wins out? It's Blu-ray. Why? Porn. Very important stuff. Now, the, the place where Curtis Stevens fits into this is we're kind of at a point with hardcore pornography where, you know, you've seen one butthole, you've seen them all, Myros, right? I mean, you, you're sure, constantly sure. saying this. Yeah, and yeah. <clears throat> you have some guys who are, are trying to branch out and do different things. I, I believe we've We've covered Let My Puppets Come on the show, which is a, uh, it's, uh, it's a porn with like Sesame Street puppets. Much and worse it, than this. 
Yeah. You've got some more ambitious things like uh, Sex World, which I believe was 1977, 78. Jack, help me out. Something like that. That sounds about right. I, I'm not sounds sure the exact right. year on that, but yeah, a little before these. Yeah. But while you're, they're kind of pushing the envelope into like, you know, sci-fi, dystopia, future, you're changing the, the settings. It's still just fucking, okay? So how do you push the boundaries of fetish and kink and, and just what constitutes good taste? And Curtis Stevens says, you know what? Let's bring incest to the American public. Let's, let's put it out there. Uh, and this is how we get taboo. Is it the first incest porno? No. Do I know that for sure? No, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say no. But this I is mean, the one that, that sort of made its way into the living rooms and the theaters of America. And that is sure. why it's important. I was going to say, Steve, we have a solid track record because I believe in one of our Wes Craven episodes, we did the Fireworks Woman, the yep. hardcore porno that Craven did, which also mm -hmm. had an incest subplot. And that was like 73 or 71 yes. or something. So, yeah, mm -hmm. there's definitely incest before we even covered it on the show because we're cool. Like, yeah, that. this is if if not us, then who? That's the right. question. You know, we have a brief. We have a we have a mission. Yep. Yep, exactly. We're talking about all the things you don't want to hear about. And here we are again. But uh, yeah, so this was the big incest hit. And, you know, how do you how do you quantify something like that? Like I say, it was big, but I, it's not like I have box office numbers. This is something that I mean, people who are around then that they, they know what taboo is. One uh, a great example of this uh, professional wrestling legend Mick Foley. Okay. In his 1997 autobiography, Have a Nice Day, he mentions the Taboo film series not once, but twice. Uh, <laughs> once as a joke, up. and another time, like, recounting an anecdote about how he was going to go somewhere with someone, but the other person decided to go see Taboo 2 in the theater instead. <laughs> so, which I can't, I, that's not a great decision, but, uh, yeah, so these were, Movies that people were talking about, they're like, oh, shit, that's that's the porn where the mom bangs her son. And if you're listening to the show, I, I'm assuming you're nodding your head along and not clutching your pearls because I know our audience. But just to, again, put into context what we are discussing, this is not approaching anywhere near a believable uh, incestuous relationship. And also, it's damn hilarious because in the first Taboo movie, it takes us almost an hour to get to what I assume is the film's primary selling point, which is like, ooh, incest. Uh, the, the mom doesn't bang her kid until an hour in. And if you're wondering, too, how do we get to this point? How does, does, a, does a mother, played by Kay Parker, find herself uh, with, you know, having sex with her son? And the answer is simple. In the beginning <laughs> of Taboo 1, uh, Kay Parker is uh, blowing her husband, as one does. He wants the light on. She insists on having the light off. And when you run into a situation like that, uh, you're at an impasse. What do you do? Well, you leave your wife, right? Yeah, you've got to. I mean, yeah. Well, he has a secretary home. lined up. Which yeah. weirdly for a porno, we never see. This is no. just he goes. He just goes to his young secretary that he's already apparently having an affair with. We never see her. It's very, very unusual 
thread just left in, in a porno. But then again, she's not related to anyone. So I guess what's the point? Yeah, you'd think, I mean, usually with pornography, it's, it's Chekhov's secretary. But yeah, in, in this case, she, she's not related to anyone. Why bother including her naked? Uh, and then shortly after this, we are introduced to the couple's large adult son. I believe he's supposed to be 16. He's definitely like fucking 30 in this, right? <laughs> yeah. He's in Beverly Hills, 90210 Yeah. 100%. 100%. This is, <laughs> this is the oldest 16 that has ever existed. And um, I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, I guess we're mostly just treated to him like banging various girls. And, uh, and then eventually Kay Parker has her incestuous sexual awakening, which is she is taken on a date by a strange man. And that date turns out to be an orgy. Who saw that coming? Not me. Uh, she witnesses for the first time, uh, a human centipede of, of orgy-ness. And, uh, she comes home after being initially disgusted and says, you know what? I kind of like that human centipede. What if I go bang my son on his twin size bed? And here we are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's about right. I mean, I, I as old you, as time. You, you've left out the, the various times uh, she was uh, sexually assaulted, or at least an attempt was was uh, you know genuinely made. Uh, yeah. Prior to her awakening, uh, yeah, I, I don't think the the politics of taboo are, are really uh, something <laughs> something worth. Uh, dwelling on because a lot of it is uh is playing with the the idea of consent uh in a, in a rather unsavory uh way but uh yeah while also weaving about. in like girl power because <laughs> she's like i don't need my husband i'm a career woman now yes yeah it is it is how stella got her groove back by banging her kid is essentially yeah the movie which and I, I don't know i mean i think i think it's taboo is a little disappointing to me because i think there are some really great golden age pornos that do some genuinely subversive interesting stuff with their material taboo sure incest is a taboo but it doesn't seem very taboo in the film it's pretty much she's like mm, i'm thinking i'm kind of attracted to my son and so she mentions it to her friend who's just like lives in like a threesome operation. Her friend's like, that's hot. Let me masturbate while you tell me more. And yeah. everyone by, by like the second or third film, everyone's doing incest. It's nothing but incest wall to wall. It's, you know, to, to wrap it into the, empo the empowerment angle is not in any way convincing within the film anyway. No. It doesn't make any, <laughs> any particular sense. I think it's really funny that it opens, as you say, with her, with her husband and she wants to have the lights out because she's kind of a shrinking violet and he wants the lights on. Mm -hmm. And then the lights on off scenario is never mentioned or invoked in any way, shape or form through the rest of the film, which just seems like insanely bad writing. Um, but she just kind of like at some point decides she's, you know, a liberated woman now and she's doing much better. It, it's kind of like, I, I don't know, the movie just, it doesn't do a lot with the material beyond, I, I think it's a very serviceable porno and I think the sex within the film is as these things go, pretty, pretty good, you know? I, I think you could jerk off to this movie. It's fine, but, you know, it's not like, like some of the other <laughs> golden era pornos. It just it doesn't have much work. Like, the mechanics of it aren't particularly interesting to me. I think what's wonderful about the movie that I did really enjoy is 
there's just <laughs> god oh we're missing out so much like there's so much location photography in the first movie like they go mm-hmm. outside they're out by like some like bay area like a seaside view they're going to different buildings so much of it is clearly shot in people's houses you get these fantastic period details while her son just keeps jizzing on the family sofa yeah. <laughs> there's just like there's all these you know great like details like that but the actual storyline itself in terms of like as a tale of sexual politics it feels really hollow to me in a way that like mm-hmm. you know much nastier films like water power or whatever which jesus i hope we never get onto that in the, the podcast but like much much meaner nastier films but they're like much more genuinely transgressive and strange than than taboo it's not yeah. it's a very straightforward film yeah, it, it is kind of muted, and it's it's odd, too, because it does have this reputation, uh, but really, any of its politics are just sort of, you know, half-hearted, like, broadly gestured to, and there is there is no follow-through on it. Uh, but at the same time, it's it's kind of baffling, because you forget that hardcore films have the ability to look i don't want to say like like a real movie but it's it's not like cheapy shot on video stuff and and as we get deeper into the series like but by the time we're at like three or four i i think it was i think it was four i was just like yeah like Curtis stevens is in his fucking barry linden era he's just got this like <laughs> masterfully shot like candlelit dinner i'm like oh who's doing your lighting buddy this looks fucking great there really is like it looks convincingly good and then it's just it's so weird because none of this stuff it's not like the pizza boy shows up to a single location and goes hey did you order extra sausage like it's not that they're trying to tell a story but also they're just they're Wait, not isn't that really literally a thing that happens in one of these movies? Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they it call does. It the pizza boy. <laughs> no, I mean it's it's funny. Uh, like in the run up to Halloween, I've been watching a bunch of like old like early slashers and proto slashers, like and something like the severed arm from like seventy three or so, which is you know mm-hmm. an early slasher film. Effectively, uh, taboo looks like not more interesting because they make that movie look really interesting but it's clear they had less money than whatever taboo is working with like taboo is a much more stately looking shoot frankly yeah. um yeah then like you know actual genre cinema you know i mean obviously taboo's mm-hmm. a genre as well it's just not really the genre that's well known for production values mm-hmm. i'm not well versed enough in in hardcore to you know firmly state this but it's my feeling that at some point they discovered that like you didn't have to have all the window dressing and production value to get people's money, essentially. Uh, you know, they're, they're chasing the same high and, and you can get it from a stripped down version. But there's something to be said about, yeah, just I mean, just having a, a unique point of view and an actual 35 millimeter shoot. It's something and it adds something to this. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I don't know. And by the time you get to Taboo 5, you can see where the industry has shifted significantly. Well, I don't even think that's necessarily fair. I mean, 1 through 4 are all theatrical releases, and 5 is not. It was the first one that was not, and the last one where Curtis Stevens directly uh, was involved with it. Uh, I mean, beyond product, uh, production. But um, yeah, I, I don't even think criticizing 5 in that sense is necessarily fair. I just think the preservation isn't there frankly because it's still shot mm-hmm. on 35 and uh yeah i, I don't think it's too, a, man 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's thanks to Venero Syndrome that the first four look good at all. They, they're the guys who scanned the prints. Five, right. no one has done that, so it looks like a cruddy VHS from the 80s. Yeah, that's because it is. What yeah. you got. It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. Any DVD copy is absolutely a VHS rip. It looks like complete shit. But I don't know mm-hmm. that it's fair to say that the movie is shot like shit. I, I think it, there, there's things in it that are uh, still showing that artfulness, which is... I, I guess makes some amount of sense because they made a fucking mint mm. from this series. So I, I guess oh my God. You, you don't, yeah. you know, if it's not broken, and, don't and fix Steven it. And Stevens, he reinvested too. Like this is right. a guy who, again, I was doing research. I was trying to figure out more about him. And I found an excerpt from, it was like a, a some porn star's autobiography. And, and he was just like recounting these little anecdotes. And he talked about how he was staying at Curdy Stevens' house around the time of taboo three like they were about to start production on it or something or just wrapped it and curdy stevens in 1985 lived next door to michael jackson so i think he was doing pretty good financially off of these <laughs> yeah i mean this is the beauty of pornography i mean really the you know in that in that golden era window that your box office mm-hmm. to production budget was was near limitless ratio frankly because even shot well and and produced well these were still cheap films with limited locations and and kind of like shot quickly i think the the disintegration of the narrative porn film i think probably came around with the vhs era and i mean we're talking five what's released on vhs but i think it was the beginning of that shift in the market there were i think there were two things that came around firstly I think the narrative form for pornography in the United States particularly probably came through from the the skirting of early anti-pornography laws, which was that you had to dress up your movie as something educational or something issues-driven. And so narrative was an excellent uh, concealment for a lot of sucking and fucking. And then I think as they moved into VHS era and people were bringing it to their homes and fast forwarding, rewinding, I think that was probably the death knell. That was the the realization of why are we doing this? We know probably our audience are just fast forwarding to the juicy bits and they're not watching the the you know interesting discussion about this and that. And I think that's really what's probably led towards you know the current era industry, which is pretty much I think almost exclusively you know vignettes, standalone scenes rather than films. I think there's there's been some push here and there for like there are some narrative porn films that are still being made or web series, but um, vastly diminished. They're nothing like what we saw in the seventies and eighties, where yeah. there was I mean the seventies particularly. I think there was a genuine feeling that pornography could be could be a real lens through which to examine society and uh, it is that absolutely but not in you know not textually i think it's really become like a consumer consumption examination you know like interesting nowadays geez go on pornhub or whatever it's incest everywhere out of control um, well, they, like, they have those like, guess, little maps too that it's just like here's the 2023 top porn searches by state and like half of them are like yeah like uh, mommy sun porn. Yeah. It's like, and, so- I, and I don't know. I don't know if it's true or not. But I saw an article somewhere. I don't recall why it was. It was like a year or two ago at this point. But I and I hope. I kind of hope it's true. I don't know if it is. But apparently, the the incest kind of like um, buzzword across modern day pornography was actually an algorithmic mistake. It was like one oh. dude's kind of setup just kind of skewed the whole industry, and then it just became the catch all 
thing. I don't know if that's true or not, but I don't, <laughs> and I don't remember the details. But it would make sense because, frankly, I, you know, I don't know that many people. Like, I've talked to plenty of people in my life who are, like, you know, fairly open on, like, hey, I consume pornography. I don't know anyone who isn't pissed off about just constant incest <laughs> keywords. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's just annoying and stupid. I don't think mm. anyone's particularly into it. It sure as shit isn't convincing in 1980 or now. So, uh, you know, it, it just seems like kind of a goofy thing. So I'm kind of hoping it is just the algorithm screwing everything up again. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't I don't think that's probably true, Jack, considering the success of this series. You know, it's just. I, I think it's a, sort of a gateway towards fetishism, if you will, like it's this sort of thing that's easy to conceive and, you know, people can sort of uh, role play within this without feeling. Uh, grossed they out do. in the I way think... you might get with more extreme fetishes. There is, but I think I think that's part of what, like, I guess my issue with it in that sense is, is that it's compared to the stuff that was really pushing the envelope or really interested in that, you know, uh, Taboo just feels real, like, it's it feels real, like, kind of like moonlighting, just kind of like, it's kind of going in there, grabbing the cash and coming out. There's no skin in the game whatsoever in it compared to, God, something like Cafe Flesh or something that's, like, really odd you know it's really going mm -hmm. in there or you know obviously a lot of damiano's stuff um, and sean costello's stuff in the 70s was like fucked up frankly and you know some of it, uh, definitely questions of production means and consent and industry habits could be, mm -hmm. be entered into but they sure as shit were coming up with some distinctive stuff and taboo is like i think uh, I, you may well be right i think you know but but i think in a sense it, it's a testament to the boredom of the average audience these are like like to me this is like the marvel movie of incest it is so <laughs> bland in its conception of the power dynamics the eroticism the the mm -hmm. taboo nature of it like it's all it just it, it's so slick it just slides past it's like oh i want to bang my son son also wants to bang me uh my friend thinks it's hot my other friend is also doing the same thing it's just sort of like, it's just this frictionless kind of a thing. And there is, I, in the first movie, I think there is something of a success in the way that it's laid out, in that they have the final scene where the mother and son couple up, and there there is the, the, the imagery lingers on certain sexual elements in a way that I think actually, I think they communicate some element of a longing, kind of a frenzied sort of like passion. And I mm -hmm. thought, you know, Okay, I'll give him credit there. There's something happening there. But then, you know, you know, everything leading up to that, it's still, it's incredibly superficial. And then the next four movies, it's just, not to say, I think four and five, they're starting to get bored with the templates. So they're starting it's to introduce real zany fucking weird shit. By the time we get there. And I think, yeah, and I think by the time you hire Jamie Gillis, you're pretty much just like, Jamie Gillis is an odd dude. He's going to do odd shit. I feel like... He's he's your man for that. So, mm -hmm. but you know, I I just think there's there's this kind of like, you know, I I don't know. I'm just disappointed by them. I think four and five have interesting elements in them. It's just that at this point, you know, if I'm watching all these in a week, I feel like five. My brain is fried. Maybe yeah. maybe it's time to go back. But I don't know, Jack. Yeah. I think you're I think you're downplaying. Um, you know the acceptance and practice of influence or an influence of of incest here. Uh, on certain segments of the country, because Adam Myros and I lived in Bakersfield, California for three years. And I feel like uh, there's been just a phenomenal amount of inbreeding there. So uh, yeah. maybe well, what is, <laughs> you know, what is funny is that, I mean, um, the Hollywood production code obviously came in to stem 
kind of growing salacious content in mm -hmm. cinema. And one of the things that was coming up through the 20s, through the silent era and through some of the early wings were, were these, you know, early sound films, were these like ripped from the headline salacious dramas and several of them were about incest. That was a thing that was coming in and, and you know, that was something Hollywood were like, no, we don't want the government in on this. <laughs> Fucking yeah. cut, shut it all down. And so this is kind of history repeating and yeah, it's it's a little more hardcore, literally, but, you know, kind of the same thing. It's kind of like, are you shocked? You know, it, mm -hmm. it reminds me of that Onion headline, you know, Marilyn Mon Manson going, you know, door to door trying to shock people. I just, and it's hard to put yourself in the headspace of the 1980s. It probably, it probably did feel a little bit more like we were talking about Tinto Brass last week. And, you know, it probably did feel a little more shocking back then. But mm -hmm. I also figured that the, you know, you're right. You couldn't show a normal person a film like fucking Water Power, like full of goddamn whatever enema porn. Like it just freak everyone out. Whereas this, <laughs> yeah, you could probably just show this to people. It's basically just straight fucking, but you have to believe they're related, which you won't based on the movie. Um, yeah. So, so unless yeah. you have a phobia of like hairy people, then you're going to be fine. Right, which I you would imagine. not go in a porno theater in the 1970s and 80s if you were not up for for full displays of pubic hair. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Proud mm -hmm. peacock configurations of the stuff. <laughs> and most people were just generally hairier at the time. Uh, yeah. Know, it was, uh, it was well, a different culture. We weren't hitting manscaped ads on every fucking third thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think before we move past... sponsor uh, this week. Yeah, before we move past <laughs> Taboo 1, uh, I, I think it is, is important to highlight Juliet Anderson as uh, Gina, uh, the best friend of, of Kay Parker's Barbara. What who, a fucking friend! This, this, is, is, this is just like all my friends. I, I'm like, man, I got some problems. I gotta talk to you. And then they just can't stop fucking playing with themselves while I'm trying to tell them my problems. Yeah, with like two <laughs> living sex slaves or something. And, uh, and one of which is, is Asian, which is the first of two very, very uh, ribald instances of uh, racist Asian caricatures. This one is mm -hmm. is certainly uh, less uh, aggressive than the one in Taboo Three, but nonetheless, I, I I think you'll note that the only time uh, this particular uh, music is used is, is during her sex scene, where all of a sudden we're traveling to the Orient, and you're like, comes on like goddamn Christ. clockwork. You're just like you almost know what's coming in your bones when it just, and then there it is. You're like, oh good, we got it out of the way. <laughs> but yeah, she is. Uh, She's having fun, and uh, that helps this movie a great deal. Like uh, her performance is uh, a real standout in the whole series, I would say. And and another older track. actor. I mean, full credit. Th these movies are genuinely uh, milf uh, forward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, genuinely, in a way that you know, I feel like they struggle with that through the nineties. I think there was a lot of you know, like everyone's body image, everything's fucked up, and every woman was considered dead by the age of twenty-seven or whatever. No, these movies have genuinely a lot of, like, older women, you know, healthily into their 30s, at least. Yeah, it's mm. very interesting how you could look at, like, this sort of era split in pornography, because, you know, when we're growing up, uh, pornography is, is considered, like, super harmful to female body image, and uh, really, in a lot of this era of pornography... Uh, if it's gonna like warp someone's sense of sexuality, I feel like it's almost uh, more detrimental to men in this instance. Like these are like 
real women. They're not fucking uh, cut up and super spray tanned and fucking nineties Barbie dolls. Uh, but the men, I don't know. I, I don't think they, the pornography really uh, mythologized like the refractory period or something. <laughs> it's like, oh, you just fucking had a crazed sex session. Let's just fucking wind you up and go the fuck again. I'm like, man, if I if I thought this is how sex worked, Jesus Christ, I would be uh, like self loathing. <laughs> is, is this what, yeah? It's the first one where he goes to the orgy where he, the guy takes her the day to the orgy and and she refuses to partake and he leaves. Everyone's like, oh, I came five times. It's like. She, how long was she sitting there? <laughs> yeah, what? Like four days. Did he take a break? How's he? How's he not shooting dust at that point? That's crazy. I got no yeah, idea. All these That's... guys are like in their forties too. It's like I don't fucking think so. I'm not even forty yet. It's just, it's not happening. To just be like, yeah, right, be, and you know what? And all the orgies, they don't have drink stations visible. Like you gotta have a lot of water intake for what they're up to. So. Yeah, yeah, I think the you know, only male character over I stuff. could relate to in the entire franchise was the father in Taboo 2, uh, who after having sex with his wife, she goes to like, do this fucking cock worship bullshit that this series is so fond of, and he's just like, stop touching it. I'm like, yeah, thank you. We <laughs> yeah, finally got the voice of off. reason. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, yeah, I... I don't know. I mean, Taboo 2 in particular, like uh, thinking about the sequels, uh, 3, 4, and 5 all have standout weird moments for me. Um, but 2, I, 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 I don't know. It just, it, it seems like it, Jack, you, you compared these to Marvel movies earlier. And this is the most marvely of the taboo movies that I've seen because it's re it really is like, hey, it's taboo one, but more taboo stuff. It's like now we've got daddy daughter in, in alongside uh mommy son and, and sister brother. I think, I think the key difference between taboo two versus the first film is that the first film is about a mother and son who seem are inextricably drawn to each other. That is kind of something that happens. Whereas Taboo 2 is pretty much just about a young dude who just wants to fuck every single woman he sees, one of whom happens to be his mom. Like, that's, uh, and, and her sister, sister rather. <laughs> and, and it's pretty much that that's all he's doing. He's just like, from the very opening scene, he's just feeling up his sister incessantly. And it just, it, yeah, it changes the vibe to just like, okay, all right, fair enough. Like, this dude is, this dude's just a criminal sex maniac. And he, or in fact, he actually sexually assaults his sister. He sexually assaults her numerous times early on, but would legally count as sexually assault. But then he does the old revenge of the nerds bait and switch sex thing by having his girlfriend seduce his sister and then swapping himself out for his girlfriend in the middle of sex. Uh, to no consequence, the, the sister's like, oh, okay, then you got me. And that's, yeah, so the, the feelings in this movie are even, it's, it's even further removed from any kind of actual taboo sensibility. It's all just very slick and okay, mm -hmm. you know, and meanwhile, the, the mother, the, the best friend's mother from the, the mother of the, the, or sorry, the best friend of the mother from the first film, this one enters in, I think this is the one where she enters into an incestuous relationship with her son and it's fine. It's just like everyone's doing it, you know. Yeah. What, what a sample of society we have here. This being a it new, is weird a that new there's best no... friend, right? Yeah, because uh, this movie, too, also has Juliet Anderson as Gina, but really, she seems to only exist to, like, give Kay Parker massages and suggestively uh, yes. uh, steer Junior down the path towards sex maniac. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's odd because there, there really is no pushback here. You know, like if you're trying to present <laughs> incest as a, as a taboo, bad thing, um, maybe like show a little pushback, but everyone's just like, yay, this is great. And I mean, I'm not out here to kink shame anyone. Um, but I do want to say, and, and, and maybe this is outside the movie. Have you ever seen someone who's like an adult and they like kiss their their dad on the lips or something? Like I think I think those people should go to jail. <laughs> uh, it, it, you know what, Steve? Lock me the fuck up. It's kind of my family. Oh, you 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 come from a lip kissing family? We, we do. I was I was this raised. Explains I was raised so in the lip kissing family. Up. That's that's why the last time I saw your mom, she slipped me the tongue. I this is all making sense now. Okay. You know, just a great unanswered question in this movie, right? Because this movie picks up right after the other movie, but the son of the first film, he doesn't reappear. He doesn't come back. So the story no, he is he's moved- died. He was like sixty years old the first fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he appears in a flashback here and there, uh, but he goes to live with his father, the father who left for his, with his young secretary at the very start of the first film. So he's written out of the series that way. He's just moved in with his father. But I, I need to know is 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 he banging his dad? We never find out. We'll never know. Like it just is that just how it works in this world? But seems like we don't know. Instead, they have to invent new siblings that did not exist before <laughs> and were never mentioned in the previous film to like fill out the the incest categories. Well, mm-hmm. yeah, Kay Parker is is in fact not incestuous at all in in Taboo Two. She's just banging yeah, young a, men, I guess. But it's, uh, best, it's her best friend. Yeah, she's had uh, a liberation at the end of one that is again kind of uh, just casts aside at times. Which this this series, especially these first three, are really formulaic in that sense, where they just like want to be continuations of this long story for no reason, but also don't yeah. want to build on those or rehire the same people for more money or you know yeah this is so. it's it's the lord of the rings of banging your mom you know it's just everything has to tie together and it's this big long journey and but it, it yeah, still it's resets sitcom style with as far as like progression of the characters you know Effect, yeah well Kay parker has her sexual release in the first film and then in part two she's kind of just getting by on naked massages from her best friend which is totally mm-hmm. normal as you do who you know yeah and she who also doesn't? seems to live in the most opulent house in america so that's yeah totally new house that she picked up post divorce who the hell yeah, knows she's like a and secretary then part three, now because her husband left her <laughs> no, yeah, she quit and then that part job three too. she loses her mojo again so we have to reset mm-hmm. and do the whole thing over and over again yeah which she yeah she quit the time time Secretary job and is now selling greeting cards. That's right. Yeah. Another Huge profitable industry. venture. Nineteen eighty one million dollar industry. Yes, but yeah. in the, oh, in, yeah. at the end of one, she is actually settled into a, a sort of open relationship with her uh boss who had earlier tried tried to very aggressively to sexually assault her in the office. But mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately I guess that didn't work out, who'd have thought? But uh, she's just kind of back on the prowl. Yep. She's back. But she's not a um, focus of this film at all. No. She'll get no. her last day come come Taboo 3. <laughs> yeah, uh, this, this one moves over to the to the girlfriend from the first film. Uh, her family, essentially. Yeah. The girlfriend mm-hmm. who loses her boyfriend to his mom, I guess. that's So that starts off. But it turns out her, her brother has, has been just relentlessly hitting on her for forever, too. Uh, and then in the end of it, what? She hooks up with her dad. 
but not before he slaps her so fucking hard she bleeds, which honestly is probably the zaniest thing in this entire franchise for me. I was like, what the fuck is happening? There's blood coming out of her mouth and now they're like hooking up. That's, you know what? I take back part of my thing about it being really slick and like too straightforward. That part is actually kind of fucked up. Yeah, that well, was it fucked gets up. there eventually. And all I mean, all of it, if you look at it through any sort of modern lens, it's like how much of this incest is like begun when one of the two family members is asleep in bed? <laughs> Just like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. Mm hmm. Yeah, it seems, yeah I, I think Kirby Stevens' big thing is sleepy blowjobs. That seems to be like a major, <laughs> major thing he likes. Or his wife mm -hmm. who's writing it. I don't know. Maybe she. Maybe that's how how she'd like to 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 say goodnight. I don't know. You know. Yeah, can't judge her on that. Uh, yeah, there is a lot of. I mean, it gets real, real murky with the consent stuff. Uh, but three is is the first time that they really try to branch out. I think uh, beyond the confines of standard pornography because for me at least for the first time watching a movie like this uh if you make it like 45 minutes in you are treated to a new wave band performance and it's not just like you're in a club and it's a quick shot it's a pretty extensive performance they have that, a full band yeah it's like a full it's a full band and the song is kind of a jam which i appreciate music in general in in the first four movies in particular i think is pretty good and yeah, I don't know. It's just a banger. It's this nice little uh, little concert. And then uh, just when you start to get into it, it's like, boom, hard cut to pornography. Three is definitely the the like the what would you say? The the breakthrough Hollywood mainstream one. I think it's got mm -hmm. like probably one of the most conventionally attractive casts. And it's got like those music numbers. It brings in music that's like openly singing about what's happening. Like the lyrics literally are stuff like we share a secret, no one must know, and so on. And, so forth. and then yeah, they cut to like hardcore fucking in it with the guitar solo somewhere mm -hmm. along the way. There, there's a lot to enjoy about this movie. And my other main takeaway from Taboo Three is I think it's the ultimate incest movie in a sense because I literally, even with a HD transfer, I could not tell the two male leads apart. They're just no. two brawny blonde dudes, and every single time one of them would show up and start fucking. I was like, is this incest or not? I don't know which one this guy is. It's hard to say. You gotta tell by the hook of their dick. That's the only way. Yeah, the, yeah, the one guy is. had a, a strange dick. The shaft was far too <laughs> wide. The head was quite tidy. It was a distracting yeah. dick. <laughs> little, little beer can penis. Yeah. Oh, this and this is also the movie where uh, at one point a guy fucks his girlfriend while a poster for W.C. Fields, the bank dick hangs over them in the, the which, which is, that was just mwah, pure no, cinema, no idea where that came from but certainly not something i've seen in any other one of these movies no. so this movie has two invented siblings i think yeah this is i think really where they start piling like they start like uh what we say like retroactively just like stacking the family because they just need more incest links yeah mm -hmm. we got a brother who wasn't in the first movie and we also have a brother who wasn't in the second movie <laughs> in the two different uh, families but uh and they look the same for no reason <laughs> yeah because because this is the one again Kay parker is back central in this one it's because she's lost her mojo again i guess so she's got to she's got to seduce another one of her sons a son who was never mentioned previously in the other two movies she lived alone in the second movie so far as i could tell i guess maybe maybe her and her husband are 
swapping off kids or something. Who the hell knows? Yeah, yeah. and in this one, uh, I guess they, they didn't want to go with the sleepy blowjob again, so what they did this time was uh, basically the same thing, except this time there's also the added element of the son is fooling his mother into believing she's fucking his brother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is a weird competitive element to this one, because there is actual dialogue in this where, where as, as Kay Parker begins to bang another one of her sons, she, she tries to refuse. She's like, look, this is wrong. I know it seems like the only hobby in this entire subdivision. Maybe it'll but, be more right if I, yeah. if I try the but other it, one. <laughs> yeah, it, it's wrong. And then, and then her other son says, you know, I know you thought it was my brother, you know, but I could do better. Watch me, mom. That's <laughs> that last part's an actual quote before they, they bang. So, you know, irresistible yeah. mom. She's, she's got Mother's Day in that household. So must be a treat. <laughs> ah, yes. And also of note, this is the second. Two and three both feature uh, uh, young Ron Jeremy. Um, yes. He's, he's basically relegated to of... orgy participant in the second film. But here mm-hmm. he is. Uh, a little plussed up. He's he's still orgy participant, but he's like sleazy record producer with six lines of dialogue. Orgy participant. Is he sleazy or is he just Ron oh. Jeremy? Yeah, really hard. Yeah, how do you hard differentiate to say. between that? Yeah. I don't. <laughs> I don't think you do. I, you, if you cast him, you have inherently coded the character as sleazy. Another mm-hmm. great element in this movie as well is Lisa Lake's character Diane, who's the girlfriend of the the new invented son. Uh, and is maybe the whiniest girlfriend in the history of pornography. I think maybe like every single thing she says, it sounds like she's on the verge of tears. Um, <laughs> really, really gets you going real hot. Uh, mm-hmm. And her acting is, is just abominable. Like it is just unbelievably bad. Uh, and, yeah. and our bar is low. We're yeah, not like this saying, is I don't think she's going to get nominated for the Oscar. I'm saying like, even within the realm of, hardcore pornography you're like mm, maybe we needed a second take for that line i don't i don't think that worked for me yeah <laughs> they have her give this big emotional thing in, in the car and it's like what the fuck is this it's like i see we're not making many cuts at old taboo three yeah, I, think, I think at this point they were like they were streamlining some of that because they had to get in younger talent and you know there's a lot more i think there's a lot more younger women in this movie particularly i think you've really opened it up, particularly, I guess, in the orgy scenes and everything. The groupies just seem like a very, uh, kind of like, okay, yeah, let's, let's, let's go mainstream. Like, this feels very slick, um, and knows its audience. And I think they, they, you know, like we mentioned, it's got, you know, uh, the theme tune as well. Like, this is the first one as well that has, like, a proper theme tune, uh, with the lyrics, this is taboo, this is taboo, I can't face life without you. So, you know, there's, there's, there's additions. They don't need Lisa Lake to be good at acting because the music directs your attention and directs your focus and reminds you you're watching a movie in the Taboo series. Hey, mm. I like the old classics. There's like the two songs that just keep playing in all of these movies. The one with, yeah. it's just like, she's on fire. It's just a sax solo. That, that song, I think, is in every one of these movies at least twice. <laughs> Yes, yeah, that one's recurring. Yeah. It's one of the great things if you're skipping through the fast forward, or if you're skipping through the sex scenes, I would always let them play just for a little bit here and there as the music rose, just so I could see which song was going over top. Yeah, there's also <laughs> the uh, the classic jam song where they're just going like, gotta get it on, gotta get it on. <laughs> gotta get it yeah. on, gotta get My it on. My big takeaway from the series is, I, I don't, would I buy 
the vinegar syndrome box set no i i don't i don't see myself uh revisiting any of these would i buy like a vinyl soundtrack absolutely i would spin this fucker on my turntable every day if, yeah, if it was yeah, available sure give I think, me the I think best it- of taboo vinyl record and I'm, I'm on top of it I think a telling thing about this series from the Vinegar Syndrome's presentation is that the first movie comes with like four audio commentaries and then the next three come with nothing <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's uh that's about right I, I'm trying to think um, if there's any other notes before we move on this well I guess the, the other note would be racism number two <laughs> oh yes yeah great a fantastic piece of Asian racism in here uh God, it's, it's like watching an Eddie Murphy movie, really. It's just so on the nose. It's wonderful. <laughs> uh, I do like the way this one ends, though, as well, because uh, Kay Parker once again becomes a fully actualized woman by sleeping with her progeny, and she mm. goes to the shoe salesman who likes to just fondle women's thighs for a very long time. That's one of the early scenes. Two women are just talking, and the, the shoe salesman's just groping her leg because I don't think he was given any other directions and he didn't know what else to do. And then, uh, so she goes to buy some shoes, having now become, you know, a wonderful, you know, self-fulfilled woman again. And the shoe salesman says, you look beautiful today. And she looks to the screen and she says, that's because I feel beautiful. Yeah, it's like fucking she went to the Dove Institute, except there and, and she met up with her son there. Like, it's insane. <laughs> yeah, and I, I would say this is the last of the five featuring, I would say, Kay Parker and Honey Wilder as primaries. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it, this is no shade on either of them, uh, you know, but it felt like a unique insight into uh, the lifestyle of uh, this uh, porn industry of the time, because it's two years between uh, Taboo 2 and Taboo 3. And I swear to God, they, they both both of them uh, unfortunately look like they've aged approximately twenty years between the two shoots. It's it's wild. Yeah, that's. Uh, I mean, you know. Yeah, like I yeah. said before, a diet of cocaine and cigarettes would probably do that to you. I'd right. Imagine. Yeah. It's just. Uh, yeah. No shade. Again, it's it's just kind of the realities of uh, <laughs> how people were living and how they mm. were treated and. Uh, unfortunate reality but it's very observable here and it does lead into taboo four as as to why perhaps uh they they went with the younger generation mm-hmm. and i can just picture yeah you know, curdy stevens with his big cigar talking to his wife honey what are we gonna do for taboo four and uh he has her cook up a, a real cockamamie very convoluted plot uh which is topped only by taboo five honestly and of course, you got to bring in the younger generation. This, I mean, this is hot. This probably came out right around the same time as uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the next generation or Star Trek, the next generation. This is a real great next generation time uh, for all of, of film and television. This, this came out like 10 years before the Texas Chainsaw Next Generation. That was oh, like on the it? later, the a, later was, hook. Oh, OK. I'm sorry. I yeah, thought that was but, late 80s, but it's probably like mid 90s or what? Yeah, what was it was that? mid 90s, mid okay. 90s and delayed because, you know. Zellweger and McConaughey's agents were like, no, you can't do this to them. <laughs> and you also, can't have yeah. Bridget Jones get killed. Also, <laughs> two years before uh, TNG. So, you know. Curdy yeah, was on when it started off. Yeah, Curdy yeah, knew man, oh, you're doing. right. He wasn't following trends. He was a trend yeah, I apologize. <laughs> yeah. I do enjoy Taboo 4 is great because it is the first of the film to like wholesale recycle a sex scene. 
The yeah. previous films had little flashbacks, you know, to but they were mostly like, you know, forgivable for like setting up that this happened or whatever. Whereas this is the first one that just wholesale is like, remember that time we had sex and then just plays the entire scene from yeah. a previous movie. But that's not this is also I think the longest of the films up until that point and I thought when that first recycled scene started it's like oh god this is gonna be greatest hits fuck that but no it's actually aside from that one recycled scene the reason it's longer is just cause yeah it just inserts this insane plot with Jamie Gillis as an incest expert who's mm-hmm. railing against sexual promiscuity and, and, this, yeah. and the disintegration of the American family he's like the Frasier crane of, of like <laughs> telling you not to fuck your kids like <laughs> so weird and and then yeah he's he's like presented as this almost like celebrity uh uh whatever doctor sex therapist yeah and so he's like treating these patients then he's also a stern father so his his girls are like sent to boarding school but then his one daughter his eldest daughter is caught like banging a dude in her in her dorm room so she gets sent home and then and this is where it gets real like soap opera messy like days of our lives but with like spread ass cheeks because then the doctor finds out his wife is banging his brother so he throws her out but then it's revealed that his brother is actually his daughter's dad so she wants to bang her biological father yeah. i guess uncle's eventually- not taboo enough like you know yeah yeah uncle's just, yeah. practically normal yeah. at this no. point i guess you gotta I, that sounds like that sounds like the producer note right like <laughs> you, yeah. you can't just be the uncle <laughs> but but then it just it creates this this bizarre web of incest and and finally as as that web is woven uh dr jeremy himself is is trapped in it and uh yeah ends up uh banging his young daughter <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it doesn't make sense. Like, he sends us to... First thing, just, just to note off, off the bat, this is the next generation. It is worth noting there are several new actors and actresses in this, but it is the exact same generation as previously. Yeah, uh, we, we don't have a generation divide. They're all the same age, and there's only a year or so past. So, you know, couldn't really do that. Honestly, the next generation would have been illegal, probably, to film. So they have to probably. stick with the same one. Or they could have gone up a, a generation, I guess. But you it's know. almost taking a nod to like you know, taboo fever has swept the nation, and now Doctor Jeremy is—he's letting everybody know that you too could catch the incest bug, as he yeah. himself does. I just love the idea of an NPR interview about where they're just talking to an incest expert, and he's like, "There's an alarming rise in incest in the United States," and it's like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> yeah, I don't know what what radio show this would be exactly but joe rogan or something i don't (laughs) um, i it i think what it signifies with the younger generation is is a less of a focus on the the milf aspect for one and also true kind of leaving behind the uh the 70s free love era because even though I i would say three feels like the first proper like sort of 80s uh movie uh the other ones are very much indebted to the 70s and playing on this era of a sort of key parties and swingers and you know the post hippie era if you will but uh this is this is leaving all of that in the past there's there's an area in orgy to be found mm-hmm. yeah i think i yeah they they, they become and, and i guess like they become kinkier as they get on but i think that's just probably the prevailing winds of society that it's just it, they realize it wasn't as troublesome to do it but um it's still like the whole incest element within the film still feels very kind of breezy and easy 
I mean, like, for example, uh, Jamie Gillis's two daughters in their boarding school, they're, they're in, you know, they sleep in the same room and uh, one of them has her boyfriend comes in through the window and they have sex and then they just get their, her sister to join in for no particular reason. That's just, you know, it's something like, to do. You know, it's like in everything we're always used to, you know, dorm room living and, you know, someone trying to bang their girlfriend or whatever and you're in the room too and you're like, oh, fuck's sake, and you have to, like, you know, either leave or, you know, cover up or whatever and just try and ignore it or whatever. Not in this one, but again, it's just this, like, completely natural movement of just like, look, we have to. There's another, you know, Ginger Lynn is in the room. You know, yeah, gotta get her in on that. So, it's it's kind of strange. But then, yes, I think Jamie Gillis injects an interesting foil to it because Gillis plays weird in porn really, really well. I think he did like a similar role in one of the Pretty Peaches films of playing like an anti-sex preacher and he occupies the role pretty well because he, he just seems like a very odd dude <laughs> from from the get-go. So, uh, yeah, but again, yeah, I think you're right. It, it just gets a little crueler but a little slicker as well or a little meaner. Everything's a little more edgy here, but... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of that '80s vibe kicks in a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised and, Gillis never really had much of a non-porn career. I, he's got an odd, compelling screen presence for sure. He did. Yeah. He did a few, but yeah, I, I guess it was it was somewhat limited. But like, I mean, he's he's got a fair number of um, of non-porn credits. It's it's kind of interesting looking back through a lot of the actresses in these. You know, they do. A lot of them have some kind of a uh, you know credit here or there. I think a lot of them ultimately probably ended up in like at least fifty-two pickup the John Frankenheimer movie because I think they just staffed that entire movie with porn stars because that was <laughs> kind of what they were going for. Um, but yeah, there's a few. I mean, if we have a callback in in Taboo Five uh, for for Super Vixen, Super Cherry, because after doing weird softcore porn with with Russ Meyer, she moved into hardcore in the eighties. But um. Kind of a kind of odd setup. Yeah. Uh, I guess uh, last thing I'll say about Taboo 4, and I mentioned this earlier, I think like far and away the best looking one. Like if, if you want to see how good a Taboo movie can look, Taboo 4, genuinely great looking movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it's the best of the films personally. I mean, I, I get the fatigue uh, lessens it at a certain stage, but also... It's just a lot more fucking strange. Like it, it's, it feels proper. It earns its title for once. I would say, like that. Yeah, just yeah. Closes with JB Gillis like forcing his daughter to recite marital vows while he fucks her. It's just like, <laughs> what in the hell is this movie? That, I'd call that honestly within, within the context of the movie. That honestly just feels like it could have been improv. Like I wouldn't be surprised. It probably wasn't, but at the same time, it just feels so out of left field. You're like, baby. There's also a really funny scene earlier in the movie where they do an improv acting scene and it basically just turns into heavy flirting and one guy trying to like move the improv towards them having sex and the girl who instigated the flirting then starting to move the improv away from them having sex and it's like a genuinely entertaining scene it's a kind of a reminder that these movies could do things you know even within the the strain of like having to include lots of you know explicit sexual content they you know there were fun ideas and things they could play with. And yeah, I, you know, I mean, on, re- on reflection, I think I might agree. I think for Gillis's character genuinely re the films in a way that, that's 
quite new and fresh and it probably mm-hmm. is one of the, the high points but at the same time I also think like 3 is just like archetypal 80s slick pornography it's just it's, it's a strangely breezy goofy creation mm-hmm. yeah well I guess this brings us t- towards the end of our journey here which is uh, Taboo 5 uh <laughs> Never restored, never remastered. Originally, I, I think, Myros, you were able to source a better version of this, but uh, to make the Taboo journey even more fun, I believe the original copy you had, the audio went out of sync at one point. Uh, yeah, the so version I had fun. was just the audio sort of lag. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't really have a lot to say about this other than, again, they're, they're trying to find a new angle, and this is the one where... Uh, how do you make seducing a child even more taboo? Give the woman a split personality. So it's like a Jekyll and Hyde of incest. It's, it's so dumb. Uh, I found the most taboo thing to be the movie opening with a disgusting bathroom scene. Uh, I, I mean, can you imagine like blowing someone in the bathroom from saw? Because that's pretty much what it is. It's, it's, <laughs> Vile. And that, that is, is the also, most taboo thing in the whole series. That is also uh, maybe the only sex scene in this entire series of films that is not accompanied by any music. No, and it makes it so much worse. Yeah. It's like I think my, my skin is crawling. I was, I just, I was very I wanna... worried about where this was headed at that point, but then it just became another taboo movie. Yeah, it's almost like after <laughs> that, the movie wakes up and it, and it becomes another movie in this series but for that moment i'm like oh no this looks really bad and it's it's quiet and it's I, someone needs to mop the floor <laughs> like before not just after it's it's weird like it's strange looking at this because we, we talked about you know societal mores and how controversial these films actually were and it's hard to say i feel like this probably was definitely controversy to some degree, if any normie found out about this and was like, this will make people of incest, because there's always people who believe, you know, that movies, you watch a movie, you instantly go out and you repeat all of the behaviors. Just That's just how that works. And everyone, like, there's always people who seem to believe that, and you just wonder what they do with their life. Like, do they, is this from experience? Is this something they do? But, um... Yeah, it's just kind of a, a strange film, because it, it's... Like, watching through all the series, one thing that I noticed is, um... There's so much, like, missionary position sex. And in five movies, there's not a single, like, there's no anal sex, for example. Like, it's it's strangely unkinky in the details of the sex itself, which I think is interesting. And I do wonder if that was, like, an offsetting. It could well just perhaps reflect the preferences of the director and writer. Yeah. But um, it, it just has this, it, it, oddly, I do wonder if they were trying to diffuse that it. it was just felt like, no, if we go into, like, kinkier areas of sex functionally, like, you know, actual types of sex, that it might, it might be too much. It's enough that we're saying this is, you know, a father and a daughter or a mother and a son. You know, well, let's, let's just keep the sex totally straightforward vanilla. Well, I think mm. it's kind of telling and might uh, offer some insight on that front that IMDb makes uh, sure to note that uh, there's a line flub in the first film uh, because uh, Kay Parker uh, started to say the word fuck and stopped herself because Curdy did not allow swearing in his film. Right. So that, that probably tells you a little something about how really... Uh, <laughs> 
puritanical and vanilla this uh this uh, you know taboo exploration actually is in many respects yeah i mean i guess a lot of like you know uh, like potty mouth sex talk is probably just it could just end up distracting they probably wanted to keep it to like key lines you know like you know marrying your daughter or whatever rather than you know all the usual all, all the usual dialogue they fall back on uh but yeah it's it, i guess you know that that might point towards a slight degree of more more um controversy that now when you watch it like frankly in a porn soused culture of 2023 you watch these movies it's like okay whatever yeah yeah, I, yeah. I don't know. I I don't really have a lot to say about part five, other than uh, it's it's not the fillet. And then well, it's also like get... an hour before they actually have any incestuous sex in part five, too, which is mm-hmm. it, it's, it's short on incest. It's a strange thing because it does have this like I don't know, maybe uh, uh, Curdy just had uh, fucking Sybil on the brain or something, but uh, this this multiple personality thing, it's not in the movie at all. <laughs> like it doesn't fucking matter. It's like, why is this here? It's this fucking yeah. insane device that they totally use inconsequential. Yeah. What's what's so confusing <laughs> Which is makes that it part... more interesting to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's something to look forward to. When's yeah, it gonna part... actually play a part in it? <laughs> part five seems to have this it seems to be reaching towards this idea that everyone, the people who were maybe somewhat, you know, uh, found fulfillment in the earlier films, those were some of those recurring roles, and then everyone else kind of circling. There's kind of like this loneliness that's being hinted at, this kind of desperation that's that's much more, I think, much more uh, kind of out in the open in this as compared to, say, Kay Parker's lack of fulfillment in parts one and three. And uh, mm. there's much more, it feels like more of a gritty desperation almost here. And you kind of like, but, but the issue is, is that it seems that this loneliness is because, firstly, because everyone's in doing incest, which I guess makes everyone feel bad. But also, as it turns out, the cure for that loneliness and also for multiple personality disorder is incest. You could just, mm-hmm. you, you, but what makes you bad also makes you better. Apparently, the film can't really make any decisions one way or the other, which means, yeah, as, as a text on anything, it's, it's pretty inert. It, does, it doesn't really make any sense at all. <laughs> yeah I, I like the way you framed that like it's set up like a like a multi-level marketing scheme or something right, yeah. <laughs> i've got the cure for you <laughs> that's it who knows it's like it's like the the, the snake eating its own tail except we in, call it the ouroboros yeah. yeah the ouroboros exactly yeah but but it's for incest yeah. it's incestuous yeah. ouroboros um and that's a, a more compelling image than many that are in five. I will one thing just just before we go on. Uh, one thing that they do do in five is make direct reference to Francis Ford Coppola's "One from the Heart," which again, <laughs> not something that happens in every porno I've ever seen. No, see, I, not generally. I have two notes before we close the book on taboo. Uh, one being, uh, while unable to to bring back Ginger Lynn, uh, they they were able to replace her with Portia Lynn and Amber Lynn. Uh, <laughs> no relation, uh, so far as I can tell, that would be crossing a line of taboo that this franchise just wasn't ready for at the time. Uh, maybe they've done so in the subsequent 20-some-odd entries. But uh, mm. I, I, the other one being, you guys, you're cutting off this music again. You're sliding on poor, poor Taboo 5, because this, this also has some pretty special music, I think, because it, it inexplicably has, like, character themes for several of these like uh amberlyn <laughs> satana has her own fucking <laughs> satana song and there's also one for uh 
Maureen, which is the main character's sexy alter ego. Uh, so yeah, I, I, the music it, it continues to be a standout even as they transition to a, a DTV production. There's also, this is the movie that posits um, a, 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 whatever, a, a local stereotype I've never heard before, which is that people from Detroit can't say didn't correctly. Yeah, um, which is weird. I, I don't know what was going can, on there. There's can a whole scene and I about pronounce it. that word fine? Didn't? I, I don't, didn't. I, I've never heard yeah, that before. That's, I, yeah. think, I think they just wanted to have like a scene, because it's, it's an improv scene again with the, one of the same characters. I think they were just trying to like be cutesy about it, but they couldn't actually come up with a real example. So they just yeah. picked up where it's very peculiar. Um, but if you're from Detroit and you've ever heard someone maybe has accused you of not being able to use contractions or pronounce contractions correctly, uh, let us know. Be, be interested yeah. to hear from you. The one thing that that southeastern Michigan people do in in the general metro Detroit area, uh, and I try not to fall victim to this, they oh, they put an S on everything. So if oh, you're yeah. going grocery shopping, you don't go to Kroger. You're like, oh, I went to Kroger's, or I went to Myers or something like that. And it's like, what? there's just an S thrown out of everything inexplicably. Uh, Which plays into the use, I suppose. Use is is a big mm-hmm. Michigan thing. Yeah, use guys. Yeah. Uh, not not great. Not a good look, Michigan people. We got we got to get rid of that one. Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, thank you for this wonderful uh, journey through the world of taboo. Thank you, Curdy Stevens, for all that you've contributed to society. Myros, what are you putting over this week? Are you fucking kidding me? I, I watched uh, five taboo movies. <laughs> I have not played <laughs> played a video game uh, or watched a movie uh, other than. You know, it's just been all taboo all the time. It, it almost would have been worth watching Taboo 6 just to put it over for this just episode. To put it over. Yeah, yeah. Well, maybe you could put over the act of coitus or just big, big cum shots. What do you think about that? Uh, sure, why not? Big cum shots. Right. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with it. Uh, <laughs> I got to pull that audio for the soundboard. That'll be good. Jack, what are you putting over this week? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to put over a movie that is frankly every bit as ridiculous as any of the five we just watched, which is Wong Jing's The Last Blood, which mm. is a 1991 Hong Kong action movie that was shot in Singapore. Um, it was released in the UK as Hard Boiled 2. Love um, that. Which is really funny because it was made at least a year prior to Hard Boiled, uh, but it does have a shootout in a hospital, so I think the marketers just saw an opportunity after the success of Hard Boiled and just tacked it on. Mm. Uh, it's Wong Jing movie. It is absolutely insane. The two lead characters introduce themselves talking about the actors who are playing themselves. Like literally one of the characters is introduced saying he looks like the actor who he is uh, just because it's, you know, why wouldn't you? It is just wall to wall machine gun fire. Uh, It's just an insane series of action sequences strung together. Um, I had a really great time. This is a stupid fucking movie and everyone should watch it. Love that. Well, uh, just like Adam Myros, I didn't have a lot of free time this week uh, because I was too busy, squirreled away in my basement watching smut. So I'm going to put over an album I've been listening to uh, when I'm not watching taboo films. And that is the new album by a band called Proto Martyr. It's called Formal Growth in the Desert. And it's it's really damn good. A band from Detroit. They can they can say the word didn't or don't or whatever these people in taboo five can't seem to pronounce. So. Uh, yeah, check it out. It's noisy, post-punk, just just good shit. Just good shit. So listen to that. 
Other than that, if you're listening to this podcast right now, there is a link in the description that will take you to our Patreon. And why on earth would you want to be a patron of Optimism Vaccine? That's a really great question. Well, um, I, I mean, where else are you going to hear three adult men just talk for an hour about taboo? And the answer is probably nowhere else. <laughs> and other than that, uh, you also get things for being a patron of Optimism Vaccine. We don't, we don't expect you to give us money and get nothing in return. Oh, no. If you live in the continent of the United States, I'm going to send you a movie from my personal collection, uh, whether it be a, a VHS tape, a DVD, a Blu-ray box set. You have no idea what you're getting, but it's something good. And you also get access to the Optimism Vaccine Patreon feed, which features all kinds of exclusive uh, recorded and written content that only our special friends who give us money are allowed to access. Isn't that lovely? Now, if you decide, you know what, I can give more. You guys deserve more. And you go to that special level where you're giving $5 or more, then you get even more access because you get to vote on future episodes and you get a shout out on the air. So, Adam Myers, who are five and above patrons right uh, now? We have David, Evan, Ryan, Dustin, and Paula. And God bless each and every one of them. Now, if, if you really, really want to be on our, our, our good list and, and you want to be someone like the fine gentleman who donated and was able to kick off the entire month of Yes Nut November, then you can give us $25 and that $25 will allow you to dictate a full episode of Optimism Vaccine. Anything that you want. You want to continue Yes Nut November into the new year? Fine. Give us money. Maybe that'll happen. So all kinds of wonderful things are possible when you give us money. Oh, now, on the admin side, questions? Steve, uh, Yes Nut November is unfortunately at an end, even though we technically have one more episode. Uh, we got to yeah. get into our, our great big December plans. So uh, we, we do have big December yeah, plans. Yeah. It, things things are, are trending in a in a different direction. And, and we can <laughs> make for worse. I think, you know, we can make some some uh, promises to to the patrons, too. I would say we are going to do we've been kicking around this horror roundup. We've been uh, but we're going to have that out before the end of the year for sure. And, uh, you know, starting next year, I, I'm, I'm feeling fairly confident in saying, uh, Stay tuned. Uh, we uh, we are looking to uh, relaunch uh, Caustic Content Season 3 and torture some folks. Uh, so we'll probably have a recurring monthly thing for uh, patrons as well. That would be uh, mm. a lot of fun. Be good. I, I, haven't, I haven't dove into the depths of Amazon streaming lately, so I can only imagine what kind of wonderful shit is awaiting me. Uh, but yeah, if you have any questions, comments, death threats, marriage proposals, uh, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. That's the place to send them. Adam Myros will be smashing a refresh on the inbox when he's not watching hardcore pornography. You can also tweet at us, blue sky at us, whatever social media at us, at Optimism Vaccine. If you're there, we're probably there. So give us a shout. Other than that, we will be back next week. A brand new little uh seg not segment series episode thing. We we got we have a, another three pack of episodes coming your way, and then a very very special Christmas episode. So things to look forward to. <clears throat> My voice is starting to give out. So we'll see you next week.